Well, good evening, everybody. This is my first time preaching in this new building here, and uh, it's kind of interesting because it's very much elevated above, you know, like before I was down in this podium. Now I feel like I'm really like one of those European churches where you get to sort of like stand up here and, and uh, preach from the pulpit. Uh, if you are new here, uh, we generally do sermon series that go through books of the Bible. So uh, we've done some on the Psalms, we've done some on the Gospel of John. Uh, right now we're kind of in an intermediate period. We're going to start a book of the Bible uh, in January and start going through that uh, uh, chapter by chapter. And starting next week we're going to start a Christmas series, so we're going to start in on looking at Advent and Christmas. Uh, but for the past uh, month or so we've been kind of uh, filling in space with sort of one-off sermons on special topics. Uh, and so uh, this is actually the last of those uh, one-off uh, type ones, and then next week we'll start in uh, again looking at the, uh, at the Advent season. Uh, so I picked uh, for tonight uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as our passage. And in a way, this is a follow-up of a sermon that I did a few weeks ago. Uh, and in that sermon, I said something kind of provocative, and I wanted to follow up on it, and actually... Uh, now it's even more provocative, uh, given the events of recent weeks. What I said, this was uh, early November, I think. Uh, I asked a question uh, in part of a sermon. I said, do you draw a bright line between yourself and sinners, such as Nazis and racists? Uh, and uh, I had no idea at the time that we would be dealing with actual Nazis in our, in our presence in our city. Uh, at the time... Really, you could say Nazis are sort of our standard example of pure evil, right? In our society, there's no debate, right? Nazis are evil, and so uh, we go with that. Uh, we have other examples, though. Uh, we have other examples where people that we kind of draw a bright line between them and the rest of society. Uh, I think of pedophiles, uh, sexual predators. Uh, we've seen in our society just sort of a, 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 a horror, a shock at some of the things that have come out uh, in some scandals. Uh, and so, it's a sort of provocative question to say, do you draw a bright line between uh, yourself uh, and Nazis? Uh, let me present it in the sense of a dilemma. Here's the dilemma. If we make a sharp cutoff and we say, well, Nazis and pedophiles are a totally different type of person uh, from me, uh, well, then we're like that Pharisee that we just read in the call to confession, who says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those sinners like those people over there. And so I make this cutoff, say, well, there's the really evil people, and then there's people like me who aren't really evil. Uh, and so it's a, it's a recipe, you could say, for hypocrisy, to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a sinner like that man. I'm not a sinner like him. Uh, the gospel, in a nutshell, calls everyone to repentance and faith. It doesn't say, well, there's a certain class of people that aren't eligible. Uh, everyone is eligible to come to Christ, uh, no matter how deep their sin. Uh, and... Uh, Jesus uh, said uh, multiple times uh, that he came to call, not the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And so if you read through the Gospels uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus rubbed shoulders with people who were considered to be traitors, like tax collectors who were collaborators with Rome. Uh, he ate dinner uh, with prostitutes. He ate uh, dinner with all kinds of people who were viewed as uh, really outcasts and, and evil uh, by that society. And so we have, in general, what you call the general call of the gospel to everybody. Not some sharp cutoff to say, well, that's just too evil. That person uh, can't be saved. 
On the other hand, here's the other side of the dilemma. If we downplay the evils of things like Nazism or pedophilia, we can be accused of complicity, right? So churches that sheltered racists uh, have been, in many ways, rightly condemned uh, in the modern day uh, for not confronting uh, racism in their midst. Uh, or we think of um, the churches that have uh, sheltered and protected pedophiles uh, over the years, including the recent scandals with the Catholic Church. Uh, now, you can say the, the charitable, uh, most charitable view is to say that the Catholic Church and other churches that have had similar scandals uh, were trying to be gracious to the sinner. They were trying to be gracious to the one who was doing these things. And yet, they can be accused of aiding and abetting, of, of here's somebody who is doing this terrible evil, victimizing people, and, and the church is really sort of aiding and abetting, it appears to be. So what do we do? How do we, how do we which, which side, how do we come down on this? Uh, on the one hand, um, let's suppose that we say we're going to root out uh, all of the serious sins in our midst. And we're going to make sure that we don't have anything really terrible in our midst. Uh, well then, wh- what goes on that list? What makes the short list of the sins that we're definitely going to root out uh, and make sure? Now, this gets us into the behavior of some old churches. Some of us here probably have experience with fundamentalist churches, uh, and some of them, uh, people have had you know, really bad experiences, churches that made a very sharp cut up and said, well, no smoking, no drinking, no dancing, uh, and so they had their short list of sins they absolutely would not tolerate. On the other hand, uh, perhaps tolerating uh, gossip, greed, gluttony, uh, and, and really appearing to be hypocrites, having a short list. It's, it's easy for us to do, to say, well, I'm going to condemn those sins. Those are clearly over the line, uh, but my sins aren't really all that bad, and so we don't really have to get too serious about those. Um, or, suppose we do the opposite, say, well, we're not going to make any cutoffs. Uh, we're going to root out every sin. Okay, does that make us like a bunch of legalistic people running around constantly worried about being slammed for some little sin? Uh, and so we have this, this kind of dilemma. Uh, the history of churches and societies in general is to make cutoffs uh, and to say, this is over the line. If you go over the line, then that is just beyond the pale. There is no hope for you. We, we absolutely reject you. Uh, some churches actually uh, make that official. Uh, so the Catholic Church, for example, uh, draws a sharp line between mortal and venial sins. Uh, venial sins being the sort of the lighter kind that you know, are kind of easily dealt with. And mortal sins, which remove you from a state of grace, uh, that move you outside uh, from your relationship with God. Uh, and so um, uh, there's an actual sort of official cutoff. And so a person could say, well, I'm in a state of grace because I never do any mortal sins. And it's pretty easy to go from that to, I never really do any really serious sins, right? I'm kind of in this different class. Well, unless you think I'm picking on only the Catholic Church, um, Protestants, there's Protestant uh, churches that do the same thing. Uh, there'll be a distinction between carnal Christians and sanctified Christians, right? Christians who are kind of, they're okay, kind of, they're class B Christians. They sort of practice certain kind of sins that make them carnal or fleshly. Uh, and then there's sort of this class A type Christian, the holiness Christians, the ones who are sanctified. Uh, and, uh, and literally in some churches, this is a teaching uh, that there are these sort of two different classes of people. And you can see the danger of all this, right? The danger is just what we read in our call to confession, that we could be like the Pharisee to say, it really, I mean, really you could say it's a danger for both sides, right? 
If you think you're in class A, I'm of the sanctified ones. I'm the one who only does the venial sins. I never do a mortal sin. Uh, it's just a recipe for being that Pharisee, for being that hypocrite who says, thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. And essentially, you could say, it's also a recipe for an isolation of the church to say that I am of a different type from other people altogether. Uh, we're the holy people. Those people are not like us. Uh, and so we cut ourselves off. We separate ourselves. Uh, on the other hand, the people who think they're in class B can be just miserable, constantly thinking uh, that, they're, that they, God doesn't like them, constantly thinking that people are looking down on them, uh, maybe drifting away from the church because they can never measure up to the level of the people uh, who are in the class A. Uh, so let me just remind you <clears throat> from the scriptural perspective, uh, we read this, uh, I believe, in uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of a certain type of sin above a certain level is death. All sin is mortal, according to scripture. All sin deserves death. Uh, and we are under a death penalty. We all will die uh, because of our sin. Uh, R.C. Sproul is a, a great theologian a lot of people are familiar with. He says, all sin is cosmic rebellion. Fundamentally, even a minor sin, as we might rank them, is saying to God, I know better than you. I don't respect your authority when you tell me not to do that. I know better than you. It's cosmic treason. It's saying to the Lord in the universe, I am better than you, and I know better than you. And even in this small thing, I can do better than you. Uh, I know better than what you command. So all sin is mortal. Uh, and so we can't make these kind of distinctions. And yet, how do we deal with uh, this dilemma? Well, that's a long introduction, but let's go to the scripture now that we have. It's on page six. Uh, and uh, I'll read this, and as our uh, tradition is, uh, we will end with, uh, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and the response is, thanks be to God. So this is from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter six. This is the word of God. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's pretty hard-hitting, right? It says the unrighteous have no part in the kingdom of God. It actually fits kind of with the, uh, the strong words we heard from the uh, letter of James this morning uh, that uh, Pastor Matt uh, was preaching on. So is this a uh, sort of a fundamentalist casting out of people in this passage here? Um, didn't Jesus say he came to call sinners? I just talked about that. Yes. The key here is repentance. <clears throat> and I think a lot of this is in the past tense here. Um, Paul says, and such were some of you. He says, that's not your identity now. You are not somebody who is someone who practices these things. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. And he says that was through Jesus uh, and the spirit of our God. So, let me remind you of some of the theology that actually uh, Joseph talked about uh, just before we did confession. Let me talk about justification and sanctification. Uh, it, this is a sort of theological words, and I would say it's a little, you have to be a little bit careful 
uh, as we saw this morning with James, we use justified and sanctified theologically for very special meanings. It doesn't mean every time you see that in the Bible, it means exactly what we're saying about it theologically, that words in uh, Greek in the Bible are like words in English. We use them for lots of different meanings. But we have theological words, justification and sanctification, that are, I think, very helpful for understanding uh, how God works in our life. Uh, First of all, there is a a change of status, that when we come to God in faith, we are changed in our status to be justified before him. And that is a once and for all thing, that we are justified, we are declared righteous. That's what that word justify means in the Greek. It literally means right-eyed or declared to be right. And so that should be enormous comfort. The Bible uses lots of words to talk about that change of status. Uh, It talks about us uh, being adopted uh, as children of God. Uh, And again, if you think about it, you don't adopt somebody one day and unadopt them the next day and then adopt them again and then throw them out of the family and then, you know, keep... They're adopted once and for all. Uh, There's also the language of being united to Christ, of of being in him, of being connected to him uh, in a true spiritual union. All of these are different uh, words for a change of status. When we come to him uh, in faith, there's a a one-time act, a change of status in which we are to use a phrase, born again, we have, or regenerated, we have a new life. And it doesn't come and go. It's not like you get born again and then you get killed and you have to go back in the womb and get born again over and over. It's a one-time act. Uh, but there's also something else that happens, and this is uh, put under the category of sanctification, which means to be made holy. And this is the idea of a change of heart. It's not just a status change, but it's also something done in us or done to us, that the Holy Spirit enters into our life and changes our heart so that we actually want and desire different things. Uh, and uh, Calvin, the, uh, the great uh, theologian of the Reformation, said you can't really, you can't pick one or the other. You can't say, well, I want the justification of Jesus, uh, but I don't want the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. When you come to the Trinity, you have to take all three or none at all. You can't pick and choose. And so when you ask Christ in your life, you're asking the Holy Spirit into your life, and the Holy Spirit comes to clean house. He comes to change our desires. Uh, And so as the Holy Spirit works in our life, there is a change. And so Paul can now in this passage say, this is past tense for you. He says, you such were some of you. And he's really referring to both of these things going on. He's saying there's been a status change. You are now justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and you have a completely new status. You are not the person that you used to be. Uh, But there's also a change in which he can say these things are past tense, in which he can say your heart has been changed. The Holy Spirit has given you a living heart. Those things uh, are not characteristic of you, uh, and you should be somebody who is repenting of these things uh, because the Holy Spirit is going to drive you more and more to repentance. Another way to put it is to say you're not on your own. As you come to Christ, it's not like he's standing up there tapping his foot and saying, well, come on, get your act together. He's actually saying, I have put my Holy Spirit in you, and I'm going to make you repent. Uh, I am going to cause you to repent, and this is going to happen to you so that you are not going to be characterized by these things. You're going to be characterized by new things. And so it should be a great comfort to us, both on the one hand to say, I have a status that is never going to change, that I belong to God, body and soul, uh, and that will never change. And it should also be a comfort to say, 
that the Holy Spirit is in me, he will never leave me or forsake me. He is in me, and he is going to do stuff to me to make me really uncomfortable with my old and past sins uh, and to change me so that I change uh, and become more and more uh, like Christ. But let's look at Paul's list uh, specifically here of the sins that he lists. And I don't think he's saying this is a specific list that these are the worst sins uh, and there aren't any others of importance. I think this is a sort of a characteristic list uh, that he's giving. And so he says, uh, the following have no part in the kingdom of God. Sexual, sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, uh, being a thief, greedy, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. It's an interesting mixed list, isn't it? Because I think every one of us could find something on there. We say, well, clearly those people are over the line. And then something else we say, wait a minute, that kind of hits home to me. Uh, wait a minute, um, Paul. So let me just give you some examples. I, I do this a lot if you've heard me preach before. I like to ask diagnostic questions. Uh, ask yourself these questions. So which one of these uh, might work for you uh, in terms of the cutoffs that we make? So here's one person. One, one might call this a traditional uh, type of cutoff. Uh, yes, maybe I cut corners at work and I cheat on my taxes, but at least I don't do anything shameful sexually. Uh, in that kind of thinking, uh, at least I don't do that, right? Uh, at least I, and sexual sins are the ones that are sort of in the category of the things to make people ashamed. So it's okay that I'm a swindler uh, as long as I'm not an adulterer. Paul puts him in the same list. He doesn't say, well, okay, uh, you know, as long as you're not an adulterer, swindling, no problem. Uh, or I would say now here's the modern version, uh, just flip it, okay? Someone who says, well, my sexual sins and drunkenness don't count because they don't hurt other people. Um, at least I don't do things that hurt other people. I only do things that hurt myself. That's a modern morality that we have, that we start to say, and really I'd say this is really through our whole society, <clears throat> that sin is defined as hurting other people. Uh, and so if I'm only hurting myself, if I'm only doing things against myself, it doesn't count. Uh, well, first of all, uh, in response to that, Scripture says harm to yourself is a sin because you are a person of value too. So harming anybody, whether yourself or somebody else, is uh, harming somebody, uh, and so self-harm also counts. But also, I think this kind of split that we make to say that the things I do to myself have no effect on anybody else is just too easy of a distinction. In fact, whenever we do something, we set an example to other people. Uh, and you can say we're part of normalizing self-destructive behavior. And so when we do self-destructive things, uh, we are not just doing it to ourselves. We live in a community. We are doing things that affect other people. Um, how about this one? Um, I'm not a racist or a Nazi or a pedophile or a pervert. Those people are just evil. Right? Haven't we been tempted all to say that in the last few weeks? How, God, could you allow this evil to exist? And to say, well, that guy, you know, those people, they're the evil ones. And to put ourselves in this other category. Uh, and yet, I think the scripture says that, uh, again, there's a continuum. We can't make a sharp cutoff. Uh, I haven't done maybe uh, many of those things, uh, but have I hated somebody? Have I wished somebody didn't exist? Uh, have I wished somebody uh, would just uh, disappear? Have I felt like there's whole segments of society that are my enemies? Uh, I mean, that is a, uh, you're, you're on the same kind of spectrum or continuum, you could say. Uh, and one last one, looking into uh, Paul's list here again. Uh, greedy? 
He puts greedy up with the other ones. And nobody here probably thinks of themselves as a greedy person. That's just not, I mean, so a lot of people would say, oh, I struggle with this, I struggle with this. Um, I actually don't think I've ever heard in my life somebody say, please pray for me, I'm really struggling with greed. I don't know, maybe, maybe you have. Um, but how about envy? Maybe that hits a little bit closer to home. I think it's a very similar thing. Are you envious of what other people have? Some people say, it makes me mad that there are rich people who have so much power. What is that? It's envy. Uh, that other person at work got promoted above me, even though I deserved it. That other person at church gets so much more attention for their ministry than I do. It makes me so mad. Is that not envy? Is that not what Paul is talking about here? Um, and lastly, how about the reviler? Uh, right in the same list. Right? Reviling. No reviling in our church at all? Is there any reviling? What is reviling? Uh, tearing down other people behind their back. Again, somebody, uh, you know, um, many of us would say, I'm not a reviler. Uh, and so here's a test for that. Uh, imagine somebody, and everything that you ever said about them has been secretly recorded, and that recording is being sent to them uh, in the mail, and they're going to open up that uh, uh, audio file and hear everything that you ever said about them behind their back when they weren't there. Feel comfortable with that? Um, reviling. It's a sin. So, I mean, the point of this list here, I think, that Paul is making is that we can't make cutoffs. Uh, he's saying that all of these sins need to, be, need to be put away. That we can't say, okay, well, you know, th- that type of person uh, needs to be, you know, just absolutely uh, rejected from the church. Uh, but my sins are not so serious. Uh, Paul puts them in the same list. And so we all find ourselves somewhere in that list. In some sense, you could say the hope is, well, my, maybe my sins, I think, are actually too bad and can't be saved. And Paul says none of those sins uh, can keep you out of the kingdom of God either because you can repent, you can be changed. I put this quote in the front of the bulletin, and I, um, I have to parse this for you, I guess. The, the um, grammar of these old confessions can be a little confusing. If you look on the, intro, the open flap of the bulletin. Uh, it says, uh, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Let me see if I can parse that for you. Um, it's saying there's no cutoffs, but the cutoff is repentance. So it's saying on the one hand, if there is sin, however small in your life, that you turn your back to God on and refuse to repent, that that can deserve damnation. On the other hand, it's saying, there is no sin so large uh, on the list that Paul just gave uh, that can keep you out of the kingdom of God if you repent. And so the key is not, uh, you know, is my sin sort of over the line of some cutoff? The key is, what am I doing about it? Am I repenting? Do I have a soft heart toward God to try to repent and to change? Or do I have a hard heart toward God? Uh, And even sometimes our small sins can be the ones in which we have the hardest heart. It can be sometimes easy for me to say, well, look, uh, I put away this big sin, and so you owe me now, and so you need to let me get away with this, because, you know, this one, really, you can't hold me to that, too. Uh, And when we do that, we're basically, again, making this cutoff and saying to God, well, thus far I will go and no further. Uh, This is sin, but that's not a sin. Uh, And 
And, and yet what we're doing then is we're drawing lines. We're saying, I'm justified by how good I am because I never do those bad sins. Uh, and these sins over here that I do are not so bad. And that's the recipe of the Pharisee that we read uh, who said, thank you, I'm not like those other people. So the standard is repentance. The standard is how we face those sins. Uh, and so the call is to change from all those things. Paul is not... Uh, unaware that there are people in, his, in the churches that he's writing to uh, who are probably still revilers, maybe thieves, greedy, drunkenness. He writes to the Corinthians about sexual immorality in their church. He's aware of what's going on. But he's saying this cannot be characteristic of you. And the way of change is the way of repentance. It's the way of coming to God and saying, God, I, I realize that this is a real problem and I want to actually change. I don't want to just feel bad. I want to actually make plans to change. Uh, and there's so much more that can be said about that. Um, uh, how do we change? Uh, some sins for all of us are easy to put away. Uh, some sins are extremely hard to put away. Uh, and in that, uh, one of the things that I would say is uh, your greatest help is the church. Uh, that we are not called to do this on our own, but we have the church uh, uh, around us. And so, if you're in the church, and you join, you're a member, uh, and you're part of this body, uh, there will be things that the church will confront. Uh, the church will confront racism and anti-Semitism. It will confront sexual sin. It will confront drunkenness. It will confront having a sharp tongue, being a reviler or a gossip, uh, and even discontent and covetousness. Uh, and I've actually seen the church, I've been around the church a long time. I've seen, not necessarily all in this church, but I've seen churches uh, that I've been in uh, and other churches in every one of these areas confronting. Uh, and, and, and again, this is not out of a spirit of judgmentalism. It's not out of a spirit of saying, well, we don't do any of those. We're coming down on you because, you know, you're an especially bad person. Uh, it's because we have the calling, all of us, to call one another to repentance of not just the big sins, uh, but the small sins too. Uh, and sometimes when somebody has a small sin that is not being dealt with, it can actually be more destructive for the church uh, than a big sin that they're really working on and walking in repentance uh, and gathering people around them to help them with. Um, so we have to say, on the one hand, maybe it makes us feel good to say the church is called and will confront things like racism in our midst. But if you're going to allow that, you have to allow the church to confront you on your sins too. And that's the scary possibility. You can't say, well, only those really bad sins need to be confronted, not my sins. Uh, and so it's a very uncomfortable proposition when somebody comes to you and says, brother, I think you're in sin here, uh, and I don't want to hear it. Uh, nobody wants to hear it. Uh, and yet, it's where we all stand. If we're going to say that I too am a sinner uh, and I need grace, uh, just like the tax collector, uh, then I have to say the church is called not to aid and abet, not to, uh, not to uh, pass over any sins, not to make cutoffs, uh, but to challenge one another, uh, whether from the things that are serious uh, and extremely destructive to the things that we tend to give ourselves a pass on. So my final point is just this. Um, it could seem overwhelming. It could seem overwhelming to say, you mean there's no cutoffs? I have to repent of all my sins? Answer, yes, you have to repent of all your sins. You can't put a category and say, I don't need to worry about repenting of those. 
Um, that can be overwhelming. Uh, but the gospel says that God is at work in us. And so let me go back to what I said about sanctification and justification. Uh, if you are in Christ, you have a status which will never change. That You are at peace with him. You are adopted by him. You are his child. Uh, and all of his work to cause you to repent is like a father disciplining a child uh, to change you, to make you walk in the right ways, to grow up in Christ, uh, as the Bible says. Uh, and the other side is to say, in your walk, uh, in repenting, he gives you uh, the Holy Spirit to change your heart. He gives you the church uh, to confront you and to work with you. He gives you the sacraments and the means of grace uh, to come before him uh, and, and to literally to tread on holy ground. Uh, he does all these things, and so you are not left alone to fight on these things, to repent of things, uh, without any help in hopes that maybe God would be pleased with you. But rather, you start out saying, he is well pleased with me. Now let me put away all those things uh, which now dirty the waters uh, and, and keep me uh, separated from him. Uh, let me work uh, toward him. And so he is at work in us, and he will complete the work uh, which he has called uh, us to do. He will work in us through his Holy Spirit. And so that should give us great hope. But the challenge is not to let ourselves uh, stop short and to say, well, I've, you know, and I think maybe even for people my age, it's even harder to say, you know what, been a Christian for a long time, I'm done repenting now. Uh, you know, I've kind of got rid of all the hard ones now, you know, I, I, I kind of reached a plateau. A dangerous place. We all have to confront all of our sins. And the blessing of Christ is that he makes us able to do it. Let's pray.